Last week we started a series on prayer that will go uh, for the next four weeks in total, week two today. Last week we looked at different things about prayer in the Bible, characteristics of what prayer should be like. And uh, we read Colossians 4, 2 that says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. And we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, where Paul said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In Luke 11, where they ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Uh, we looked at scripture last week about what it says about prayer. And we realized that Paul 41 times mentions prayer in his writing. Jesus 25 times is identified as praying in the Gospels. And we looked at the Psalms, which has uh, dozens and dozens of prayers that are there. All of the prayers are there of all the different people. And the, th- the things we looked at last week is that prayer should be continually, not just occasionally. Prayer should be sincere, not mechanical. That prayer should be intentional, not careless. And it should be proactive, not just reactive. So today, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 6. You can also find a very similar passage in Luke chapter 11. One of the the, uh, commentators I was reading from this week said that that Matthew was was given to the Jewish people, people who already understood prayer, but to give them further clarification on what prayer was like. In other words, it's talking to religious people who know all the whens and the wheres and the hows and stand and raise your hand. And yeah, I mean, how many of you like, if, if you didn't go to church so later in your life, it's a little bit daunting the first time you go because you're like, am I supposed to stand or sit or do I raise one hand or two hands? When I was young, we had this song that we sang at all of our youth rallies called the CA song, Christ Ambassadors. And at the end of it, you would say, Christ ambassadors and lift one hand. Then somebody all of a sudden said, lift the other hand. I felt like I was doing the hokey pokey a little bit. You know, you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Anyway, um, just had a childhood memory there. So you get all these things about how to, and you kind of lose the real thrust of what it's all about. The one in Luke was written to the Gentiles to give them kind of the baseline, but it's the same basic phrase and words in both places, a little bit of a different emphasis just because of the context of the story, but we're all familiar with Matthew chapter 6. I want to actually start in verse 5, so if you have your Bible or if you have the notes, uh, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? We don't always do that. I'm reading from the New King James Version today, primarily for this reason, I'll tell you this up front, Uh, only a couple of versions have what we all know is the ending of the Lord's Prayer. It probably wasn't in the original manuscript, but it became something that the early church added as their emphasis on God's power and majesty. So it probably wasn't exactly the way Jesus told them to pray, but he wasn't giving them a formula anyway. He was giving them a model. And it's kind of cool if you think about it. They took what he said and they added another thought to it that was consistent and right in line with what he taught them to pray. When we get down to that part known as the Lord's Prayer in verse 9, if you'll pray that with me, and we'll pray it together today. And today is, uh, I'm talking about the model prayer, and today will be a little different than most sermons. This is a prayer laboratory today. 
and we're going to be praying through the sermon. And I'll try to keep my comments brief so we have time to actually pray. It's kind of sad when we preach about prayer, but we never take time to pray. So we're going to try to fix that today. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. You know, let me just pause right there. I think it's easy for us to forget that. I think it's easy for us to imagine somehow, sometimes, that we've got to do something to get God's attention. Because somehow he didn't quite see what was going on in our life. And I think we look at it rationally from our perspective. My goodness, I don't even know how many people are in the building today, but I guarantee you I don't know everything going on in everybody's life that's here. And this is just one small little group. How in the world will God know if we don't grab his attention? And, and we read stories that encourage us to be persistent <clears throat> in our prayer. And if we're not careful, we convert that to mean that if we don't do it just right, he doesn't have a clue what's going on. Listen to this verse of scripture I just read. Listen to it again. Your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. He's not against you. He's not uh, resistant to you. He is your father. And he wants you to grow in your character. And he wants you to develop who you are. And their persistent prayer is very much a biblical concept. But not because of the fact that he doesn't know. Not because he doesn't care. But it's simply that as we persist in our prayer that our faith grows to receive what he has for us. Don't, don't be like them, he says. Your father knows what you need. Verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray. And here's the prayer. Would you say it together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us today that instructs us of a model or a pattern of how we can pray. I thank you, Lord, that we can pray it even as you gave it to us, or we can use it to formulate our own thoughts, and they're both powerful. Lord, I pray today that you would destroy any preconceived notions that we have about prayer that are unbiblical. I pray that you would move us away from a place of judgment or comparison with others and give us a heart that looks to you, that leans into you and recognizes, God, that you are faithful. 
We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the preface to the prayer, Jesus teaches us a few things about prayer. Very quickly, prayer should be sincere. Needs to come from the heart. Here's a good one for all of us to hear. Prayer should be simple. You don't have to try to work up a big vocabulary to impress God. God's looking at the sincerity of your heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes this very clear in his teaching when he says that we should have childlike faith. It's not about big vocabulary. It's not about trying to make sure we catch every detail and that we cross every T and dot every I. Jesus teaches us to come and make it simple. As a matter of fact, the prayer that he gives us as a pattern or an example here in the Greek language has 57 words. That prayer can be prayed in just a few seconds. It doesn't take long to say the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, this is the model. Now, I do understand the value. There's another time where he tells his disciples to pray for an extended period of time. And there's great benefit in extended prayer. But I think too often we get so caught with that that we don't recognize the value of simple prayer that it occurs frequently throughout the day. The last thing he says, it should be sincere, simple, and in secret. And by that, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go find a place to hide when you pray, but don't do it to be seen of men. Matter of fact, there's also teaching that tells us the value of being an example. And again, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world, let your good works, let them be seen. Let people see those. So, so it's more about our attitude than it is a specific direction of life. But don't do it to be seen. Do it to connect with the Father. He gives us the model to pray. And he gives five focuses. And we're going to pray on those five today. We're going to pause through our time together. And I'm going to ask you to pray on these five different focuses that he gives us here in uh, the Lord's Prayer of Matthew chapter 6. Focus, first of all, on God's nature. Look at how the prayer starts. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says here to focus on the nature of God. And here's what I believe with all my heart. Praise is the proper beginning point of all prayer. When you come into the presence of God, it is awe-inspiring I think of the story in Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 6. He encounters God. He's had a major disappointment in life. One of his dear friends, King Uzziah, has died. And he says, when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, that phrase is really easy to kind of gloss over and not think much about. And we go, that's good, that's kind. But when you read the rest of the paragraph there, when he saw the Lord, it caused him immediately to examine his own life and see his faults and failures. When you encounter the holy God, real quickly you understand and recognize that he is perfect and you are not. Can I get a witness? And in that sense of reverence, we recognize that God 
is with us, and we begin with praise. We praise God first of all, and you might want to make notes because this is how you're going to pray in just a minute. We, we first of all worship and praise God because he is relational. He is connected to us. He is not someone that is far away. He's not someone who's unaware, but he is our father. I often talk about this at a baby dedication, but what do fathers do? My children remind me frequently that I say this, and I am still their father. Fathers are providers. They pay the bills. Fathers are protectors. They secure your life and who you are. Fathers, the right kind of father helps you to reach your full potential. Fathers love their children, even sacrificially. Now, you may say, wait, what do you mean? Did God love us sacrificially? Well, of course he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Come on, every dad in the room understands the sacrifice of that. You know, there's a lot of things we say about our kids. When they're acting bad, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't give you a nickel for them. But we wouldn't sell them for a million dollars. There are times when they may frustrate us. There are times when children may, may cause us anxiety in our hearts because we're not sure where they're going. But the love that we have for them is so strong. If you're a good father, that you will lay down your life to protect them. God loves you as a father. You, you, you've heard this. I'm, you've heard it from me before, and you've probably heard it elsewhere. But the word that, that's used there uh, in the Aramaic in particular is the word Abba. Romans chapter 8, Paul uses that word, and that's what's put into our translation. And the word Abba simply means this, Daddy. Some people have real trouble with that. They say, well, that's not very reverent. That's not very appropriate. I don't know about your house and your relationship. My dad passed away in 1998 with Lou Gehrig's disease. He was 74. I was uh, 37, I think, at the time, if I remember right. And there wasn't a more honorable word that I could say to him than the word dad. It meant quite a bit. That connection that relationship. God wants us to understand that's how he connects with us. He's not just some far off distant deity. The truth is he has things so far beyond our, our comprehension even. He is omnipotent. I'll get there in a minute. He is omniscient. He does know everything. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. That blows my mind to try to comprehend. But that's who God is. And yet with all of that, he says, call me dad. God's relational. We worship him because of that. That's how Jesus starts the prayer. When you pray, say our father. He's relational. Not only that, but he's omnipotent. I just mentioned that. There, there's, there's this beautiful juxtaposition that takes place here. We say, our Father, who is in heaven. I don't know what address 
connects to you that way. Anything I can come up with falls so, so, so short. But there are addresses that are well known in our world. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Everybody know what that place is called? The White House. Buckingham Palace. Where the Queen lives. Can you imagine writing a letter that said, you know, to my father who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? That'd be kind of a cool letter to write. It would mean that your father was the President of the United States. To my family who resides in Buckingham Palace. Be kind of an awesome thing. But we say our Father who dwells in heaven speaks of his omnipotence, how powerful he is. He is the God of all things. And I'm going to go quick. I could dig in on any one of these topics and spend a lot of time, but I want us to pray it together. Not only that, hallowed be thy name. It means that God is holy and righteous. He alone is to be worshiped. He is without fault. He is without any error in all that he does. He is perfect in all of his ways. I want you to join me in prayer right now. I'm going to pray just to give a background to this moment. But I'm going to ask you in your own way to pray. If you want to pray out loud, you're certainly encouraged to do that. If you want to pray quietly, you're it's okay to do that. If you just want to pray in agreement with me, that's okay. And uh, I want us to make this a prayer laboratory. Would you stand with me? You're going to get a little exercise this morning. Would you stand with me and would you take a moment to pray with me and to pray in your heart, to pray with your voice, giving God praise for who he is and for his connection with us. Join me right now. God, I thank you that you are my father. I thank you that you're the father, not only of me, but of all who follow after Jesus Christ. We cry out, our father. We are part of your family. We are knitted together because of what you have done for us. God, we thank you for the love that you've given to us as a father. And we thank you, God, that that love has no limitation. It has no boundary because you are the God who resides in heaven. You have all power. You have all wisdom. There is no lack in who you are. The supply that you give is above and beyond all that we can imagine. Thank you, God, according to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think because you are the God of heaven. I thank you, God, that there is no error in who you are. There is only perfectness. And God, I worship you because you are holy and righteous. Let your name be revered, I pray, oh God. And Lord, I thank you that we can worship you today because of who you are. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you give the Lord praise right now? Just give a shout. Give a clap. Lord, I bless your name. I bless your name. You may be seated. Second thing, he says there, we pray first of all, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the next thing we focus on is on God's will, God's nature, now God's will. 
The kingdom of God is the revelation and reign of Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, John said of him, the kingdom of God is near you. Jesus has come to establish God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is not the United States. The kingdom of God is not the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is, is the, the rule and the reign that he has in the heart of every one of his children. He reigns in our lives. He reigns in us. So when we say this prayer, we're not actually praying. And by the way, quick side note, sidebar here for just a moment. Elections are coming up. And if you are a citizen of the United States of America, you should vote. And you should vote according to what is right and according to your conscience, not even what is most beneficial for you. I might make somebody unhappy here, but it won't be the first time. Probably not the last either. I remember a few years ago, one of my friends saying from a different state, they were voting on a lottery, and the lottery is going to give all this money to colleges and give scholarships to students, and all this great stuff was going to happen because they had the lottery. And here's what's wrong with the lottery. Here's what's wrong with gambling. And by the way, next month, I'm going to do a few sermons on God's view of money that will help all of us. And you can come and be relaxed and even bring your friends. It's not going to get weird. I can tell you this. God's plan has never been for me to grow my finances while I'm hurting someone else in the process. So when it comes time to vote, I'm not voting what fits my, my life and what's best for me. I'm not saying my kingdom come. I'm saying your kingdom come, God. Let us act in a way that advances who you are. And I think we should vote. But let me tell you something that's going to kind of maybe surprise some of you. I wish I had more time to go here even because it would be good for us to hear today. It may be later. We should vote for the people that we feel are godly to the best of our ability. They're filled with wisdom to the best of our knowledge and, and understanding. But God's not really limited and he's not handicapped by who we elect to be president, governor, senator, or whatever else you want to vote on. We might be hindered a little bit, but God's not. And he can work in every situation. One of the greatest stories is when Daniel sees the king who has turned out because of his intense pride, God turns him out to, to chew on the grass like an animal. God doesn't need our help in figuring out how to take care of things. We need to trust him a whole lot more than we do. There are some Christians, it appears to me this way anyway, their prayer is almost like, God, I know that you're omnipotent. I know that, that, that you're omniscient. I know that you're a God of all wisdom. But can I cue you in on this one thing? I mean, talking about just the, 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 the height of, of ignorance, to think that somehow God's waiting for us to come up with the plan. 
We need to pray, God, help us to get in line with your plan and who you are. We are praying that the kingdom of God would, 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 would come in our lives, in the lives of other people. Let people come to know Jesus. Listen, this world is a desperately wicked place. Sin has ruined it, and it will never be reconciled until we are all back with Jesus again one day. But until that day, I am praying and I am working for the kingdom of God to come here in people's lives. I pray the kingdom of God would happen in your life. Jesus tells us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your notes here, but there's three ways that God's will is done in heaven. Immediately, completely, and joyfully. There's never one time when God tells an angel what to do, that an angel goes, could I pray about that first? There's never one time when God speaks to an angel and he says, I'm kind of busy today. How about tomorrow? When the word of the Lord comes to the ear of an angel and gets direction for something to do, the response is immediate, it is complete, and it is joyful. How wonderful would it be if the church reflected that same lifestyle? Let your will be done in my life, even as it's done in heaven. We talk about changing your community. You talk about impacting your neighbor. What if our obedience to God was no longer optional, but instead it became automatic because our heart was focused on him? Why do we disobey God? Well, I think there's a couple reasons there in your notes there. One, because we have more confidence in our opinion than we do in God. We think somehow he missed something, didn't quite see it the way we see it, and therefore... God, if you only knew what I knew, come on, help me out, church. God, forgive us. We trust ourselves, but we fail to trust God. Can I, can I help you out this morning? Can I just bring a little insight and revelation to your heart, to your mind, to your life today? You're not that trustworthy. Neither am I. Let, let, me, let me illustrate it. I want everyone to listen to me, and I want you to respond appropriately, please. I'm asking you to do this favor for me. How many of you in the room have ever made a mistake? Raise your hand real high right now. If you didn't raise your hand, you just made another one. <laughs> we are prone to, for error. Even our best effort comes up woefully short. God has never made a mistake. He's never missed it. He's never been, well, that's close, but not quite. God is perfection. So why would you trust what you think more than what his word says? You can trust God always. I want you to stand with me again. We're going to pray on this. We're going to pray on God's will to be done. Same as before, I'm going to pray. You can join with me. Pray your own prayer Pray in your heart, pray out loud, whatever works for you. God, I thank you that you have established your eternal will. And Lord, your eternal will is that there would be reconciliation between you and between mankind. I pray, God, that people would submit to your love, that they would receive your goodness. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would use us to have fresh revelation and to establish the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives personally. Lord, I pray that we would be responsive to the, to the movement of your spirit, responsive to the word of God, and that we would do your will immediately, completely, and joyfully. Lord, may we never lean upon our own understanding, but in all of our ways, may we trust you. May we acknowledge you, for you are good. And Lord, I pray this morning that your will would be done in the life of each person here today. And it would be done in my life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated again. Third thing, focus on God's provision. Isn't it easy and aren't we prone to kind of forget what God's done for us? Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It's in your notes. I'm not going to read all of it. But basically, Jesus says this. By the way, this is just a few seconds after he gives the prayer that we're looking at today. So this is right there in context with it. And he's kind of like, so why are you so concerned about the things of life? And he goes, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns, but they get fed. Are you not more valuable than they are? And he goes, look at the fields and look at the flowers. They don't work, they don't worry, they don't toil, but yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he says, now if God clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is from the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Therefore, don't worry. Don't ask, what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? That's what Gentiles are concerned about. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Back to verse 8. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's provision is timely. He gives us what we need when we need it. There's a whole lot of us that would like to say, God, just kind of give it to me for the rest of my life right now. Just download it, God. Here we go. And God says, no, I'm going to lead you step by step, day by day. It's interesting, the Bible says, the steps of a righteous person are established by God, directed, ordered by God. The steps, well, God, I don't want the steps, I want the trip. You go back to the Old Testament, it's illustrated so clearly with the people of Israel. When God gave them the provision of manna, how often they go gather. Daily, except for the Sabbath, they, they got two before the Sabbath, so they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. And what happened if they got more than the daily need? They had a mess. See, that's what happens when we try to get ahead of God. What's provided for our good becomes a mess. Think of how God led them, first part of that journey, and very much in particular, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know why those things were there, right? Pretty simple, pretty obvious. They're out in the desert area. What happens in a desert during the day? It gets hot. How many of y'all been to a desert before sometime? I mean, really been out there in the desert? Just a little bit. Let me see your hand real quick. What happens in the desert at night? It's cold. It's 
So God gave them fire for the night, cloud for the day. Are you kidding me? You think God doesn't know how to run his business? Some of y'all would have got that switched. They'd be burning up in the daytime and freezing to death at night. God gets it right every time. Look at creation, all the uniqueness of life and what happens. The intricacies of just the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and all the things that God puts into action, even for us in our human body. There are so many things going on in your body right now that you don't even have any cognizant awareness of. It's unbelievable. You're not sitting there. Now, occasionally, when you're like in a real panic mode, you might have to tell yourself, breathe, breathe. But can you imagine how rough that would be if your body didn't automatically know that you were supposed to breathe, how tough life would be? God says, you know, y'all might forget that sometime. You need to sleep. I'm going to program that in for you. God's provision for us is unbelievable. You've heard all the stories, and I don't have time to go into it right now, but the fact of that our, the planet that we live on is at exactly the right place to give us the temperatures that sustain life. If we were just a little bit off course from where we are, we would have frigid nights or incredibly hot days, and we would not survive either one. God took this little speck of dirt, called it earth, put it right in the right place, put man on it, The provision of God is perfect. Not only does he provide us with daily bread, but he also provides us with forgiveness that comes to us and through us. You know why we get messed up a lot in life? It's because we don't accept the provision of God, not only to be forgiven, but to forgive others. Do you understand from God's perspective how frustrating and irritating that must be when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, but then we hold a grudge against someone who's done wrong to us. Jesus illustrated the story of a man who owed millions of dollars and had no way to pay it back. And the man who was owed the debt came to him and said, it's time to pay up. How many of you know when you get that, this is your third and final notice letter? That's not a good day. And if you owed millions of dollars, it would be a horrible day. And the man said, please have mercy on me. There's no way I can can ever pay the debt. Please. And the guy says, okay, I'll just forget it. What? (laughs) Just forget it? Yeah, I'm going to wipe it off the books. Never happened. Forget it. How many of you would call that a good day? And as the man's leaving, he sees a guy on the street who owes him 20 bucks. And he goes over to the man that owes him 20 bucks. He grabs him, throws him to the ground, and just starts shaking him and beating on him. And he says, pay me my 20 bucks. That's exactly what happens when we harbor a grudge, we harbor an anger against someone who's done wrong to us. After all that God has forgiven us, don't you think we should be a little bit gracious and forgiving toward others? Let me help you out with the whole picture of the cycle of this too. When we do not forgive, we do more damage to ourselves than the person that we're mad at. 
So I'm mad at somebody. I think about it. I harbor it up. I, when I see them out in the community somewhere getting gas or at Walmart or wherever it is, I see them, my blood pressure just goes up about eight points, and I can just feel the anger inside of me rising. And I think, oh, I can't believe what they did to me. Meanwhile, they didn't even know that I was in the room. And they've forgotten what they did that offended me. The reality is a lot of times we forget why we got offended anyway, but we hold on to the offense. Jesus teaches us to pray this way, forgive us our debts. Now, there are several words that can be used there. Different versions translates it different ways. Forgive us the, the times that we go out of bounds. Forgive us when we miss the mark. Forgive us when we mess up. And help us to forgive others who mess up against us. Now, I think it's important to understand this. People are going to mess up against you. You're going to have reason to be irritated, angry, mad, frustrated, whatever word you want to use. But you have to get past that and you do it because God has forgiven you. Therefore, I have no right to hold on to my anger. Because I've been forgiven, I need also to forgive. And when I forgive, it releases me from that bondage. God provides for all of our, our physical needs. He gives us forgiveness. When you come to these places of, of, of struggling to forgive somebody, I believe this is very important Longer principle, I wish I had time to get into right now, but confession is the foundation of healing. You need to be able to say to God, God, I'm really mad right now, but I need you to help me to get over it. You ever tried to help somebody who could not acknowledge they had a need? Can I help you with that? Nope, don't need your help. Well, here, let me, let me just, come, can't, nope, I'm fine, I've got it. How easy is it to help that person? Depending on how stubborn they are, it can be impossible. Do you realize when you have that attitude with God, no, I've got this, God. I don't need your help. I'm good. I'm not really mad. I'm okay. God can't help you. Later on in the past, there's a lot of debate about this. I won't go into it, but I'll just tell you what Jesus said very clearly. He said, if you don't forgive others who sin against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your sins. People don't want to debate. What does that mean? I think it's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. If you don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. But I thought it was all about grace. I thought it, was, it didn't matter what I... No, grace always leads me toward righteousness. And if I'm not moving toward righteousness, I don't have the grace of God in the way that I need it. We need to confess to God. Would you stand with me again? Let's pray this third prayer together right now. Let's thank God for all of his provision. And you can take a moment to think of whatever it is that you want to be thankful for. And would you join that me in that prayer right now? God, I thank you for so many incredible blessings in life. Lord, I thank you for great friends that I have. I thank you for my family. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for clothes to wear, for a car to drive, for a house that I live in. I thank you, God, for food to eat. And all of the things I need in life are, are available in such abundant fashion, Lord. Help me to be grateful. Help me to be appreciative, Lord, of what I have. Lord, I thank you most of all for the provision of salvation, 
that through faith in Jesus Christ, I can become a child of God. I thank you that my sins have been forgiven, that, that it's been washed away as if nothing was ever there. Lord, you don't hold those things against me. You don't look at my stubbornness. You don't look at, at, at the anger. The things that are in my heart by nature. You wipe them away as I trust in you, and you renew me continually. And Lord, you give me the blessing of being forgiving toward others so that I can take what the devil intends for evil and I can turn it for good. Thank you, Lord, for all the things you provide us with. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Number four, we focus on God's protection. This may be one of the biggest ones today in the culture in which we live because there are so many threats in life. We've got the threat going over in, in the Ukraine right now. What's going to happen with all of that? And I read something just this week of who they're going to bomb and where they're going to go and what if World War III happens and da-da-da-da-da. And, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm not even going to tell you today whether that's going to happen or not. I don't know. But I know who does know. And I trust in him. Listen to me. God is with you wherever you go. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He stands with you. He undergirds you with his strength. And he overshadows you with his love. He protects you completely. Can I tell you this? We all deal with it from time to time, but a fear that is uncontrolled creates a paralysis that prevents action and therefore guarantees defeat. I think of the people in the Old Testament when they were encountering difficult situations and they were moved to fear, and because of their fear, they lost. But when one champion would rise up and say, Have faith in God. That's when everything would turn. Some people said Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. We get in here and we sing, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. But the devil will quickly pop into our mind. But what about this? What about that? That's when I like to say to the devil, I'm not in charge of logistics. I'm just in charge of my assignment and being faithful, and I'm going to see a victory because it's not my battle. It belongs to the Lord. We speak against fear because God is with us. And if you want to look at a record that is absolutely perfect, without blemish, without fault, check out God and how he comes through in delivering his people. He can take them through a, a river. He can take them through a sea. He can deliver them out of the den of lions. He makes a way where there seems no way. His army marches without a weapon and defeats a massive army. God protects us in ways that go beyond our understanding. And he's batting a thousand. He's never missed. He's never failed. And he never will. He gives us strength. He gives us guidance. He gives us protection every day. We simply need to recognize that and grab hold of it and not lean in our own abilities as our source of strength. We got two more left. Stand with me again. And would you just join me in praying and focusing on God's protection 
and again giving thanks for that. Lord, I thank you today that you are with us wherever we go. We're never alone. We're never in a place where we have to depend upon our abilities to get us out of a situation, but you are there with us to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to give us guidance, to protect us. Lord, I pray for some that are here today that you would just wrap them up in your presence right now. And may your comfort, may your joy, may your peace relieve them of fear in life because you protect us. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing because the last one's really quick. Focus on God's majesty. God's kingdom is what matters most. Can somebody say amen? Paul understood this real well. He said even if they preach the gospel for with wrong motivation, the gospel's still getting preached. Jesus taught his disciples this way. If they're preaching in Jesus' name, then don't, they're your brother. Don't get mad at them. It's all good. I'm glad that in the kingdom of God, we're not in competition with the Baptists, the Methodists, the Nazarenes, some other Pentecostal charismatic group that's not part of our tribe. We're all working together. And when one church experiences God's favor, all the Christians rejoice. Can you imagine how mad that would make the devil if we all got to the spot that we truly celebrated each other's victories instead of trying to figure out how, how we can turn it for our own benefit? And I hate to even acknowledge this because I don't want you to lose faith in pastors and churches. There are some pastors that when another church in the area is going through a problem, I think internally they kind of go, I wonder if we'll get any new people. Hey, we're, we're, not, we're not called to go fish in somebody else's aquarium. There's enough people in Owasso who weren't in church today anywhere who don't know Jesus that we could fill our building up 10 times over. So why are we hoping that another church that lifts up Jesus, almost praying, God, you know, we don't want to see them fall apart, but if they do, Lord... Direct them to us. Bunch of weenies. That's the Greek word for coward. What if we start saying, God, let your kingdom come. God, bring revival. Bring it in my heart. Bring it in my church. Bring it in my city. Let people get saved at every church that proclaim Jesus is Lord. Let people grow in faith in every church that's anywhere near here and churches all across our state, across our nation, around the world. Let your kingdom come, for yours is the kingdom. It's about your kingdom, God. Let your kingdom receive glory and honor. God's kingdom is what matters most. God's power is essential for Victoria's living. Let me help you out. If you think that somehow if I just prayed for you, everything's going to be good in your life, you are so sorely mistaken. 
well, if I could just get this guy to pray for me, or that person, or this woman, or that. Are you kidding me? His is the power. And here's the awesome thing about that. You have a personal invitation to connect with it. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to hope that it just takes on this third try. You can connect for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And to you be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you lift your hands, lift your voice, lift your heart with me, and let's give God praise today. God, we thank you that your kingdom is what matters. We thank you that your power is available for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. That, God, you are not exclusive and that you keep some people out, but you are an inclusive God who welcome all. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, your word says that you love the world so much that whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. God, I thank you for your love that you extend to all of us. And may we come together, Lord, taking your prayer and living it out and praying it daily. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and for your grace. Would you worship the Lord together in these last few moments? Sing a song of praise to him and give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Would you bless him together right now? Lift your hands, lift your hearts, lift your voice and worship to God.